Good morning again. Take your Bibles. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 18 in a message that was originally supposed to be, as I started preparing it, uh, verses 18 to 21. But for your sakes, I just did 18 or we would be here all day. So verse 18 today specifically, looking at 19 to 21 next week, Lord willing. We have probably all been on the giving or receiving end of statements like this. Try harder. Do it again. Do it better. You've got to try a little harder. Maybe you've been a coach or have been under the tutelage of a coach. Maybe you've said that as a parent or you've said that or you've heard that said from a parent or a motivational speaker. You know, when we try to achieve something, we think we can do it if we just try a little harder, right? In football, to borrow a football analogy, you'll sometimes hear a coach, especially in a rivalry game, and they'll say something like this. He says, you know, I told my players that you just have to want it more than the other team does. You're lined up across from that guy. You've got to want it more. And we've all been there, right? trying harder to do something that we can't seem to actually do. You know, that, that lid that won't open? I just try a little harder, I'll get it. That, that, that piece that won't fit, that screw that won't loosen. We tell ourselves we can do it if we just try a little harder. Where there's a will, there's a way, right? Well, you come to Ephesians 5.18, and Paul doesn't give us that pep talk. He doesn't give us the, just try harder and you'll do it. No, he doesn't say, just try harder. Rather, he gives us clear instruction to actually give in. You say, what? To give in and submit to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 here, Paul has instructed us, as we've been walking through in the last several weeks, he's instructed us to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. How do we do those well? How do we do them well? Well, try harder if you're not doing it well, right? Do it better. You have to want it more, and then you'll be able to do it. None of those are true. You ever found that sometimes the harder you try, the harder you fail? And you may say, well, I try, but then I keep failing. I work myself up to to make another strong run at it, and it goes well for a little bit, but then I, I just fall back into it, and I mess up. What's my problem? The world tells us you've got to dig a little deeper. You've got to try a little harder. You've got to get bigger. You've got to get stronger. You've got to do it better. The power is in you. You just have to dig a little deeper and find that power. But what does Scripture tell us? Scripture tells us the complete opposite of that. What does it take for us to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom? According to verse 18, it takes the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 5.18, he says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. 
The key to all of this in chapter 5 is what Paul says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. In our scripture reading earlier, Galatians 5, 16, and then later in that passage as well, he phrases it this way. He says, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. The Christian life is not about trying harder in our own strength. It is about submitting to the Spirit's strength. And the sooner we figure that out, the, uh, it'll go a lot better for us. The imperative in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, is the key that unlocks everything. It's the golden ticket to walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. Walking in the Spirit is what makes all the other walks possible. Because without walking in the Spirit, you have no hope to walk in love. You have no hope to walk in light. No hope to walk in wisdom. Because God's will for us is never accomplished apart from his spirit in us. God's will for us is never accomplished apart from his spirit within us. You can try harder if you want. You can try harder if you want, but without submission to the spirit, you will be banging your head against the brick wall of your own corruption. And you know what happens when you bang your head against a brick wall? Eventually, you quit doing it. You realize it's not working. I give up. The key to living the Christian life is not trying harder or doing better. The key is being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, great. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that phrase mean? What does it look like? How does it happen in our lives? When does it happen in our lives? What is the filling of the Holy Spirit in us? Well, there's several terms that the Bible uses regarding our relationship to the Spirit, and I think it's helpful if we discuss all three of them. We'll talk about the first two before we then get to the filling of the Spirit. If you go in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it'd be helpful for you to see this on your own here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, gives us one of these first terms that the Bible uses. And that is this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is important so that we understand the filling of the Spirit. We need to understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we have all been baptized by the Spirit into one body. So what does that mean? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You'll hear a lot of people using this term, and they use it in a unique way sometimes. But according to this verse, and according to the, to the wealth of Scripture, the baptism of the Spirit is when the Spirit baptizes us or places us into the body of Christ, the church. Now, when were you placed into the body of Christ? At the moment of salvation. When you were saved, when you saw your sin, when you saw Christ as Savior, you confessed that sin, you trusted in him, that's when you are placed into the church. Every person who believes in Jesus Christ is baptized into, by the Spirit, placed into the body of Christ, the church. You realize there are no unbaptized by the Spirit believers? Not one. There are no unbaptized by... You might hear somebody say, well, I'm baptized by the Spirit. So am I. 
There's not one. There's not one unbaptized by the Spirit believer. Believers who are saved, but somehow are not a part of the body of Christ, they don't exist. They're not there. So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, this is a very important term as well, and that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see this in Romans 8, verses 9 to 11, other places as well, as you can see there on the screen, the other verses. I'll get to those in a minute. But Romans 8, 9 to 11 is especially helpful when talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says here, Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we have here Romans 8 talking about the Spirit of God dwelling in the believer dwells in each believer. Every person who has believed in Jesus Christ, received forgiven, or forgiveness of their sins, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. There is not one believer in Jesus Christ who does not have the Spirit dwelling in them. The indwelling of the Spirit is to all believers. Now, we've seen some of this already in Ephesians 1. Remember 1 verse 13 and 14 and 4 verse 30? we see that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the seal of the believer's salvation. That, that stamp of approval. approval. That, that seal by which he is made official. Now, 1 Corinthians 6.19 also talks about each individual Christian being a temple or a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Remember that verse? Know ye not that you are a your body is the dwelling place or the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 talks about the church being. He says, ye are, you are, plural, you are the temple, the dwelling place of God and the Spirit. Corporately as a church, to collectively, we are the dwelling place of God, the Spirit, here on earth. Ephesians 2.22, we saw this. It said the church is the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So both individually and corporately, we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, the third term that we come to is the one that Paul refers to here in Ephesians chapter 5, and that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at verse 18, that's actually the second command in the verse, isn't it? There's a command that comes right before that. He says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. So that's command one. Command two is, but be filled with the Spirit. The first command there, let's talk about that one for a second. The first one is a command for the believer not to get drunk. For the believer not to get drunk. And you say, why, why this? Why now? It seems a little out of place, doesn't it? A walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. Don't be drunk. Walk in the Spirit. It's like, like which one of these doesn't fit, right? He's not just randomly inserting this like some out-of-place little nugget that he's like, oh, I got this on my mind. I got to throw it in there. No, that's not the point, right? He's using this instead as a comparison contrast, a comparison or a contrast to being filled with the Spirit, all right, we'll talk about that in just a second. 
Let's get one thing straight, though. This is a true command. The first part of verse 18 is a true command for the believer, and it's not to be discarded. It's not to be taken lightly. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. The word dissipation means to waste with misuse or to indulge in extravagant, intemperate, or dissolute pleasure. That word for dissipation, the Greek word, is the same Greek word used of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, 13, where it says he wasted his substance with riotous living. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. It's also the same word used in 1 Peter 4, verse 4, where Peter says the world will think you are strange because you do not run around with them in the same flood of dissipation. In other words, the world looks at you and say, you're you're weird. You don't waste your life like we do. You don't do the things we do. That's strange. You don't run around with them in their flood of dissipation, their flood of wastefulness. Now, verse 18 in the King James, it says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. In the ESV, it says, do not be drunk because it leads to debauchery. That's, that's a little picturesque. And what are we getting at here? Nothing good comes from drunkenness. Not one good thing comes from drunkenness. Countless lives have been ruined because of drunkenness. Lives taken, kids abused, Marriage is broken, jobs lost. You could continue down that list. He is very clear here. Drunkenness is a sin, and it is completely out of bounds for the believer. Completely out of bounds for the believer. Remember, we read Galatians 5 in verse 21. It says that it gives that list, several verses there, 19, 20, and 21. He gives a list of the works of the flesh. You know what, what's one of them listed there? Drunkenness. Drunkenness is a work of the flesh. It's completely out of bounds for the believer who is supposed to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians, it says it there in Galatians 5 as well, but 1 Corinthians 6.10 also says, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not compatible with Christianity. It's not compatible. Practicing that is not compatible with those who inherit the kingdom of God, meaning those who are true believers. Why is drunkenness out of bounds for the believer? Why is it? Because drunkenness is a loss of control. Drunkenness is a loss of control. Inhibitions are are broken down and the mind and the body are given over to the control of a substance. I think we can make an argument based on this verse and based on that definition of it that you could probably make the same argument for illicit drugs here as well that also produce a loss of control. Drunkenness or illicit drugs causes this out-of-mind or out-of-body experience. And the believer is never to give control of himself over to something else that breaks down their mental and physical wherewithal. You never give control over to something that would encourage debauchery. That's foolishness. He says you cannot, as a believer, be drunk. So why does Paul bring it up here? Like I said, it looks a little out of place. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, don't be drunk, walk in the spirit. He brings it up here because he is making a contrast between the effects of drunkenness and the effects of 
the Holy Spirit. Now follow, follow me here. Some people make the wrong comparison here. All right, you've probably heard this. Some people make the wrong comparison here. They wrongly say that like when you lose control because of alcohol, so also we are to lose control because of the Holy Spirit. That's the wrong comparison. And you've seen some of that. People that get drunk in the spirit or the holy rollers, right? The laughing in the spirit, the falling over, the babbling in incoherent unknown languages, not even languages, just babbling. And that's all, all blamed on, as it were, the spirit. You've seen the videos of those types of things. And, and he, I have two emotions. One, I want to laugh at them. And two, I want to cry for them because of the deception. Those actions may be the work of a spirit, but it's not the holy one. That is the wrong interpretation of this. All right? it is, that's the wrong interpretation of this. Because Paul is not saying, instead of losing control under alcohol, lose control under the spirit. How do we know this? Losing control is not a work of the Holy Spirit. Because a fruit of the spirit is what? Self-control. So the Spirit is trying to produce in you self-control. He wouldn't all of a sudden say, lose control and do whatever you want to do. He wouldn't say that. We see that Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It lists out those fruits of the Spirit. The last one there being temperance or what we would call self-control. Coming under the power of the Holy Spirit, coming under the control of the Holy Spirit causes you not to lose control. It causes you to gain control of your mind, your body, and you bring those sins and those desires of your mind and your body under subjection to the Holy Spirit. So it's a gaining of control. Because what are we naturally inclined to do? Because of our sin nature, we are naturally inclined to lose control. Right? You ever lost control of what you've said? You go on some, some random rant into all sorts of who knows what? Ever lost control of your temper? or lost control of your greed, or lost control of your lust. Our, naturally, our natural inclination in sin is to lose control of our mind and bodies. You realize that one single moment, one moment, one single moment of losing control of your anger or your temper can change or maybe ruin your life forever. Just one. Just one. Lust can destroy you. Greed can consume you. Power can corrupt you. But the point he's making here is that being under the influence of the Holy Spirit brings your temper under control. Your words are more thoughtful. Your anger is not unrighteous anger, but righteous anger. So whereas being filled with alcohol means you lose control and you do things you never thought you would do, being filled with the Spirit means you gain control and the Spirit does in you what you could not do on your own. Paul uses the contrast of alcohol and the Spirit here because it communicates what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we take that term, filled with the Spirit. I think we misunderstand that a little bit. Because when we hear the word filling, we primarily think of an amount or a quantity of something, right? In yesteryear, when your gas tank would, would, would run low, you would run down to the filling station, 
right? Remember Wally and uh, Wally's filling, sta filling station and Andy Griffith, right? Your tank is a little low, so we run down to the filling station. Is that what it means by, by the filling of the Holy Spirit? You know, my spirit tank is running a little bit low. I better go get it refilled. I need more amount. I need, I need a higher quantity of the Spirit in my life at this point. It's not what the filling of the Spirit means. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean that you get more of the Spirit. It's not getting more. It's not getting refilled with the Spirit. Why? Because when you are indwelt by the Spirit, you have all of the Spirit that you will ever have. You have the Spirit. Right? No one has more spirit than someone else. No one has, no Christian has more spirit than another Christian has. We hear that sometimes said that way, right? Right? Well, well, <clears throat> I'm a spirit-filled Christian. So am I. I go to a spirit-filled church. So do I. Right? So, so we have the Spirit indwelling us. Be filled with the Spirit. The wording here is plural, meaning it's directed not at just one Christian, it's directed to all Christians. There's no classes of Christian, the Spirit-filled Christian and the non-Spirit-filled Christian. All believers have all of the Spirit. Every believer is Spirit-filled. So what does it mean then to be filled with the Spirit? We haven't quite answered that yet, have we? Well, you kind of know what it is, and we talked all around it. What does it mean then to be filled with the Spirit? The, the phrase filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by, to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple examples of, of the way this word is used. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28, those in the synagogue, it said, were filled with wrath against Jesus. They were filled with wrath. What was then controlling them when they were filled with wrath? The wrath was. And that's the story where they actually want to take Jesus out to the brow of the hill, the cliff, and they want to throw him down. They were so consumed by their wrath that their wrath was controlling them and it was spilling out into these hateful actions against Jesus. We see it again in Acts 13, 45. The Jews were filled with envy. The envy controlled them, and it says they opposed Paul. They hated what Paul was doing because they were controlled by the envy. So in a similar way, being filled with the Spirit means that you come under the control of the Spirit. You come under the control of the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur gives us a, a helpful analogy here. He says being filled with the Holy Spirit is like a hand in a glove. A glove does nothing on its own, correct? Nothing. But when the glove is filled with the hand, what happens? Now the glove does what the hand does, right? It goes where the hand goes. It moves as the hand directs it to move. In a similar way, so we are filled with the Spirit. We then are controlled like a, like a glove by a hand. We are controlled by the Holy Spirit. We submit to where the Holy Spirit wants to take us and how he wants to move us. 
When you are filled with the Spirit, your mind is filled with the thoughts that the Spirit would think. Your actions are controlled by the love that the Spirit has. Your motivations are under control of what the Spirit gives. Your desires fall in line with the Spirit's guidance. Your finances, your relationship, everything comes under that influence. We talk about alcohol and that, and that, that phrase, under the influence of, or driving under the influence of, or whatever. Same, same type of idea. We're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have to have the Spirit because none of that is possible on our own. We can't, we can't control our actions or control our, our thoughts or our finances or our relationships or whatever it might be. We have to have the Spirit because we cannot control those things under our own power. The phrase, be filled with the Spirit, literally means be being kept filled. Now, there's a reason it's not like that in your English Bible because it sounds a little goofy. But it literally means be being kept filled. In other words, keep yourself under the control of the Spirit. He's not saying add more Spirit to your life. He's saying keep submitting, daily submission, do it again. Keep yourself under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now notice here too how this is worded. You do not fill yourself. He says be filled. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. We do not fill ourselves with the Spirit. Instead, we submit to the filling or control of the Spirit in our lives. We do not, you do not gather a little bit more of the Holy Spirit. We submit to what the Holy Spirit is already doing in our lives. You say, well, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? I think maybe the best way to go about that is to give some examples and we see them throughout Scripture. Scripture tells us about many people who were filled with the Spirit, Old Testament and New Testament. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 3, it says that Bezalel, the man in charge, he was in charge, God, God put him in charge of building the tabernacle, gave all the instruction to Moses, and this was the guy who was actually going to do the work. And it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? meaning he was under the Spirit's control to accomplish what God desired in the building of the tabernacle. He was submitted to God's instructions and God's designs for what he was doing. Jumping forward into the New Testament, Luke 1.15, an angel comes to Zacharias and tells Zacharias that his son John would be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. Even from his mother's womb. And then later on in that same chapter, we actually see evidence of that. Because remember what John the Baptist does in his mother's womb when Jesus, in his mother's womb, enters his presence? Elizabeth says, the babe kicked, it leaped in my womb. So the presence of the Spirit causing John to recognize who Jesus was, even as a baby in the womb. Luke 1.41 and, and verse 67 tell us that Elizabeth and Zacharias were both filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 4 tells us the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit was given 
for, for the first time in that way after Christ had, had left. And it says the apostles actually began to speak in foreign languages that they themselves didn't know. Heal the sick. They began to proclaim Christ boldly. Why? Because they were filled by, they were controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 8 says Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches Christ while under arrest for preaching Christ. Isn't that great? He preaches Christ by the filling and power of the Holy Spirit while he is under arrest for preaching Christ. What an example. Acts 6, 5, verse 10 and 7, 55, you see Stephen. Stephen is a man, the Bible says, is full of the Holy Spirit. And he serves his church. He boldly preaches and he loses his life because of it. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, verse 17, this is just after Paul's conversion, and Ananias comes to him, and he, he gives Paul back his sight, and he says, Paul, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, from that point forward, filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what Paul accomplished. No, was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. But look at what he accomplished under the control, under the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, in his writings, in his ministry, in his preaching. In Acts 13, 52, we see again the apostles. It says, we're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In that passage, it tells us the Jews were mad at him, but the Gentiles were believing. And here stand the apostles under the power and control of the Holy Spirit, and they boldly preach Christ. And there's a common thread to all of these that I show you, and there's many more too, many more. But there's a common thread to all of these that believers are filled with the Spirit. They are controlled by the Spirit. When they are controlled by the Spirit, they live for God and they accomplish the works of God that he has for them to do. Isn't that the reason we're saved? Created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. But he hasn't just saved us and said, cheerio, good luck. No, he's given us the spirit then whom we submit to and he causes those good works. He does those good works in us. And that's the common thread that we see here. Each one being full of the Holy Spirit went and did what God had for them to do. See, the evidence of these people being filled with the spirit was not flopping around out of control. It wasn't. You don't see that. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and so he ran crazy around the auditorium and jumped over pew. You don't see that. You don't see that anywhere. The evidence of these people is not that. It's a life lived for God's glory that accomplishes what God wants him to do, what God wants her to do. The heart, the mind, the body, and the soul submitted to the Holy Spirit, and God does a great work. Now, we're going to see this next week. We're going to look at verses 19 to 21. So, so this morning, the filling of the Spirit. Next Sunday, what follows the filling of the Spirit? And you see here what, what's coming. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see what the Spirit does? The Spirit does incredibly spiritual things in our lives, verses 19 to 21. Let me summarize this this morning by this statement. To be filled with the Spirit 
is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in thought, word, deed, and desire. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in thought, word, deed, and desire. Now I know, because I'm one of them, some of us in here, when we hear the idea of someone else controlling us, we bristle a little bit, don't we? Ooh, I don't know about that. You know, our independent spirit of American autonomy, our first reaction is kind of, oh, I don't know about that. We resist it a little bit. We even sometimes fight against it, right? We don't like control. We like independence. We like autonomy. I am the master of my fate. When we say the word submit to the Holy Spirit, we say the word submission, and it's coming up here a few more times, verse 21, verse 22, and so forth. When we say the word submission, it usually doesn't roll off our tongues easily, does it? We say that word and we kind of choke on it a little bit. <laughs> submission, right? It, it, you spit it out almost like, well, I got to say it because it's spiritual sounding, but I don't really want to. Now, please note this. When we come under the control of the Holy Spirit, we are coming under the control of God himself. The Holy Spirit is God. And God is perfect. God is pure. He is righteous. He is holy. He is just. The Bible says there is no unrighteousness in God. It is hard to submit to somebody or something or some government or some whatever that is evil and corrupt. That's difficult. That's challenging. Nobody really wants to do that. But when we talk about God himself, who is perfect, pure, righteous, holy, and just, who the God of all the universe always does what is right, he always does what is holy and righteous and good, should we have a problem with that? We shouldn't. Is there anything or anyone else that we should desire to be under any more than he? Who better than God himself? You're always going to submit to something. You're always going to be under the control of something. Who better than God? who is perfect. And like I said earlier, I think this is the key that unlocks everything else. When we walk in the Spirit, we will learn to walk in love. When we are surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit, we will learn to walk in light. When we are under the control of the power of the Holy Spirit, we will learn to walk in wisdom. You know, the Holy Spirit is not some you know, magical pixie dust that we sprinkle on ourselves to get a little spiritual boost once in a while. No, the Holy Spirit is a real person of the Godhead whom we should allow to permeate and to dominate our thoughts, our words, our deeds, and our desires. I ask you this in closing. What controls you? What controls you? I think it will either be self or it will be spirit. What controls you? Is it corrupt self or is it holy spirit? Let's pray.